0: One of the youngest memories I have of being afraid involves my dad, my brother, and a deserted stretch of Indiana County roads. We were coming home from my grandmother's house. My dad at the time drove a convertible Fiat, and he pulled off in the dead of night on a deserted Indiana County road, and he told us the hookman story. Those of you who are older will know the Hookman story. I'm going to tell a version of it right now. So a couple of teenagers decide they want to go park on Lover's Lane and have a makeout session. The teenage boy turns on the radio for a little mood music, and it's playing along, and they're making kissy-kissy, and all of a sudden, we interrupt this program for a special news report convicted rapist and murderer john stennis has escaped from the indiana state penitentiary citizens are advised to stay indoors and if you see a man with a right hook for a hand report his whereabouts to authorities we now return okay so the music comes back on well the girl is rattled she doesn't want to stay Come on, we need to go. I want to go home. Come on. And he's like, No, we were, we were this is, just want to hang out a little bit longer. And I just, and he reaches over to kiss her. And she's like, I want to leave right now. So, finally, in anger, he starts the car, <laughs> zips out. All is well and good until they get to her house. She gets out of the car, closes the door, and lets out a blood curling scream. Ah! He gets out gets to the passenger side of the car to see a bloody hook dangling from the handle of the door, right? This story, when my dad got to that point of the story, my heart was pumping out of my chest and I was pleading for my father, Dad, we need to go. Dad, start the car. Dad, Dad, I'm telling you, he's right there in the tree line. Dad, come on. Now, believe it or not, this is a famous American story, okay? So here's a Dear Abby article about the hook man, okay? Now, no one had to teach me to be afraid. No one had to teach me to do that. I learned how to be afraid on my own. I was afraid of heights. I, got, I remember getting on bicycles. We had this giant hill that we would race down, and I remember when I got to the top the first time, I thought, oh, I'll go down, no problem. And then all of a sudden, fear. <gasps> I, was, I didn't like roller coasters for that reason. Uh, the dart, for the longest time, I'll admit it, I had a nightlight as a kid. Okay? Speaking, public speaking was something as a young man I was deathly afraid of. Ask me about the times that I had to speak and I literally froze. I couldn't open my mouth. I couldn't make the words come out. And people had to stand up and rescue me because I just couldn't speak once I got in front of people. Afraid of germs. All children, all children learn and develop fears on their own. When you tuck your kids in bed at night, you don't have to lean in, kiss them on the forehead, and say, good night, honey. Now, when I turn off the light, please know there's a monster lurking in your closet. You You don't have to tuck them in at night, pat them on the forehead, and say, now, as soon as I close the door, just know there is something lurking under your bed they will invent this stuff on their own. They will come up with it on their own. And you teenagers, you run toward fear. You like to go on roller coasters. You like to tell each other stories that are scary and prank each other and scare each other. In virtually every culture in the world, there is some kind of celebration of fear. In the Latin world, it's, uh, I want to say it right. Mike, you say it for me. I don't even speak Spanish. The day of the dead. Later this month, we're going to celebrate what holiday? Halloween. Halloween. Right, okay, yeah. You don't have to be a Christian to recognize that fear is king. And Let's be honest, it's a presidential election season and we all know that the candidate who can tap our fears the best is usually the candidate that, right, wins in America, okay? So some of you and some of you teenagers have a mistaken view about fear. You think that when you get older, when you get married, when you're, you know, a little bit more grown up that you just won't be so insecure, you won't be so anxious, (laughs) grown-ups <laughs> the laughter means that that assumption is faulty uh, grown-ups just out of curiosity you can shout these things out what are some things that grown-ups are typically afraid of what are some things people fear shout them out bankruptcy, bankruptcy. the tax man what are... not up. what not measuring, up. not measuring up disappointing other people Death. Oh, preach. Cancer. Getting sick. All right. I have printed off off fears by category of what Americans are afraid of. It's four pages, and they stop measuring fear at 6.8%. Here's some of the things people are afraid of. Number one, again, corrupt government. It's the number one thing Americans are afraid of. People I love dying, people I love becoming ill, high medical bills, uh, terrorism attack or nuclear attack, break-ins, public speaking, insects, snakes, height, uh, heights, mugging, sexual assault by a stranger, becoming ill, dying. At 7.8%, second to the bottom, is this. Yeah. Clowns. 7.8% of Americans are afraid of clowns. Now, given the rash of clown sightings in our country lately, I'm gonna guess that number's gonna go up. <laughs> I think that 7.8% is the lowball for clown fright. <laughs> no, being afraid is not something that you will simply outgrow. Being afraid is fundamental. and and a fundamental, elemental part of what it means to be human. So, as we begin this teaching series, I wanna define some terms, okay? First of all, fear. Fear is a natural and automatic response when we feel physically or psychologically threatened. And the threat has to be present and powerful. If I say snake, A few of you right now will feel a tinge of fear, but most of you will be like, ah, no problem, snakes, yeah, no big deal. But if later today, while you're eating, I throw a copperhead snake onto the table, do you know what you're gonna do? Jump! I will not have to throw the snake down and then say, okay, on the count of three, I want you to leap up and scream. You will do that automatically. It's an automatic response to a present and powerful threat. Now, there's also phobias. Phobias are a little different. Those are an extreme or irrational fear of something, often something that poses little real danger. I had a friend for the longest time who was in arachnophobia. So she was afraid of spiders. She would have to have the uh, insect man come out every month. Every month, she had to have her garage vacuumed. <laughs> with the shop vac to make sure, because if she went to open the door handle to her car and there was a spider there, she wasn't going anywhere, right? Now, was it the case that the spiders were all gonna one day gang up on her, tackle her to the floor, spin her in a web and eat her? No. (laughs) No, not likely to happen, okay? Then there's anxiety. Anxiety is just this general feeling of worry or tension or nervousness about an upcoming event or something with an uncertain outcome. You'll hear people say, I'm just anxious. Maybe they're about to get married. Maybe they're about to take the MCATs. But there's something in the future and they're not sure how it's all going to shake out. Maybe they're buying their first home. You know, I'm just, I'm anxious. It's always oriented, though, toward the future. Now, if you have an anxiety disorder, you know, you know how debilitating it can be, because suddenly, out of nowhere, you are gripped by terror and fear, and you're like, where did that come from? And you get goosebumps. There are psychological responses that happen to your body. Palpitations. Remember? Heart beating out of chest. Oh, put my heart back. <clears throat> okay? Okay. Goosebumps, sweaty palms, rapid breathing, sweating, lots of sweating. (laughs) Loss of appetite, increased appetite, tension headaches, clenched jaw, impotence, a loss of sleep, high blood pressure. Sometimes we mistakenly call this stress. We'll say, you know, I'm just stressed out right now. No, you're not. You know what you are? You're afraid. You're afraid. You're afraid, okay? A lot of times when we say the word stressed, what we really mean is, I'm afraid I'm not going to get this thing done that I really need to get done. I'm afraid I'm going to let people down. I'm afraid this relationship isn't going to... Okay, so stress is often a mask for fear. Now, everything I've just told you is not new information, is it? You all knew this coming in. You already knew that fears and anxieties can be very powerful and very real. Here's what I'm not gonna do with this series. I'm not gonna stand up here and say, God says don't be afraid, so stop it. Just stop it. The Bible says it, I believe it, that settles it, okay? That's simplistic, and let's be honest, it doesn't work. Two, I'm not gonna stand up here in this series and say to you, the next time you're afraid, just close your eyes and imagine yourself in Jamaica. Hear the waves rolling in. Breathe in, breathe out. But there's a snake on the table. Just breathe in, breathe out, okay? So I'm not going to do that either, all right? If you're going to get freedom from fear and anxiety, it's going to be a process. It's not going to be a single decision. It's not going to be one message from a preacher. It's not going to be a prayer that you pray once. It's going to be a process, a process that's gradual, and you're going to have to learn some things about yourself and you're going to have to learn some things about God. But if you will commit to the process, down the road you will find you are less anxious, you are less afraid, and that maybe you can get to that point where you can utter even what Paul says, I am anxious for nothing, all right? Here's how I want to start. Your fears are speaking to you. Your fears are trying to tell you something very important about you, and you need to listen to them. You need to give them credence, and you need to sit down, and you need to listen and discern what your fears are telling you, because fear and worry has something to say to us if we will just be quiet and listen, and that's today's bottom line. A great place to start is the Psalms. I love the Psalms because, as I've said before here, the Psalms are just undiluted emotion. Oh, God, you're awesome. This is a glorious day. You're the king of the universe. You're my rock and my fortress. God, where are you? I needed you last night, and you didn't even come, and I'm up to my neck, and I'm going to die. Where are you? Okay? The Psalms are undiluted. Oh, Lord, I have so many enemies. So many are against me. Some of you right now are like, preach. If you're in middle school, preach. (laughs) Psalm 4, answer me when I call to you, O God, who declares me innocent. Free me from my troubles. Have mercy on me and hear my prayer. How long will you people ruin my reputation? How long will you make groundless accusations? And then Psalm 10, O Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide when I'm in trouble? The wicked arrogantly, arrogantly hunt down the poor. The psalmist invites you and me into situations with them where their life is literally on the line. If you think ISIS is bad, what the Philistines and Egyptians and Assyrians could do to you is much, much worse. And in the Psalms, we have these moments where literally he's worried, I'm not going to make it till tomorrow. And so the first thing about this about reading through the Psalms as we learn something we already should know. We're vulnerable. We're vulnerable. On Thursday night, I had my girls with me we're in the van we're going i-64 going to louisville we're going to go to pumpkin fest it's going to be a great day and then there's this guy in this ford f-350 that's doing i don't know what on his phone and then he wants to sideswipe me now thankfully he missed but if he had actually if i wasn't on my game and i hadn't done the swervy swervy thing in time we were right there in the kentucky river valley That would have been a tumble that would have gone to game, set, match, and John would have been very wealthy (laughs) from State Farm, okay? We're vulnerable. You never know when some idiot's gonna cross the median on US 27. You don't know if the plane that you're gonna get on is gonna have engine failure. You don't know what's gonna happen later on. And you're often powerless to do anything about it. We're vulnerable. The Psalms remind us that we can control very little. And so that's one of the things, and we're gonna get into that in a few weeks, but if you start peeling away the layers of the Psalms, one of the things you have to confront is an issue of control. And again, we're gonna get into that in a few weeks, but not being in control scares most of us. But the truth of the matter is we're vulnerable. The Psalms also remind us that we might not get what we need or want. Deliver me, protect me, You've prayed prayers for family members, and the cancer got them. You prayed prayers, give me a job, and you waited and waited and waited, and it didn't come. Sometimes the answer isn't what you think you want or you need. Edward Welch says this, he says, there is a close connection between what we fear and what we think we need. Whatever you need is is a mere stone's throw away from what you fear. So if you need comfort, if that's what you need, you're gonna fear physical pain, emotional pain. You're gonna shun it. Um, If you need approval from others, you're gonna fear being criticized. And when others say things about you or your ideas that are bad, it's gonna really rile you because you need that approval so badly. If you need to be loved, and that's what you need, and that's the cry of your heart, you're gonna fear rejection like nothing else. See this connection? If you need to be admired for your looks, every gram of fat, every aging wrinkle is going to send you into apoplexy. What if we could eliminate fear and worry entirely from life? What if faith, not fear, was your default reaction to threats? What if you could eliminate every shred of doubt, every shred of insecurity and dread? Does it seem impossible? Jesus asks in the gospels, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? Are you kidding, Jesus? Are you serious? What do you mean, why am I afraid? I'm about to have my life snuffed out. She walked out on me. What do you mean I'm afraid? Do you know how many people fail the MCATs? Jesus asks, why are you afraid? And I want to put this into context. So if you brought a Bible, we're going to be in the gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 8. Jesus asked this question in this setting right here, Matthew 8, verses 23 and following. Then Jesus got into the boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly, a fierce storm struck the lake with waves breaking into the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, shouting, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Jesus responded, why Are you afraid? There's a terrible storm. Seismos is the Greek word used. Seismic, big, earth quaking, sky shattering. This is a big storm. And then suddenly, verse 24, it's not like they were on the Nebraska prairie and off in the distance they saw the clouds and they had time to act. It came upon them suddenly. And it was bad, and it was one of those eat-you kind of storms if you're a fisherman. And they're afraid. Sudden fear. Let's change the story the way we want to read it. Then Jesus got into a boat and started across the lake with his disciples. Suddenly, a giant rainbow arched across the sky with a flock of doves. The water was smooth as glass. Welcome aboard the Disney cruise ship Fantasia. (laughs) (laughs) no in this story in matthew chapter 8 we are reminded that in this world we will have trouble not way not might not may we will have trouble and in this story jesus is sleeping the disciples are worried they're stressed out they're freaking out god where are you why aren't you helping can't you see i'm in danger and jesus asks why are you afraid Gang, as we start this journey, I wanna plead with you to do the hard work of looking on the inside and thinking through some things and asking yourself, why am I afraid? What am I afraid of and why? Because if you start there and if you go through this process, I promise it's a better destination. What do my fears say I trust in? What do my fears say I trust in? I love. Why are you afraid? A few years ago, Jenny and I had managed to save a few thousand dollars. We had squirreled it away, put it in the bank. I was less anxious. It gave me a sense of security. If something were to happen, I thought, you know what, we're okay financially for a while. You know, the ship's not going to sink overnight. It's no big deal. It's great. Just the whole anxiety thing just, you know, boom, went away. And then a bunch of things happened, including Jenny almost dying, and we had tons of medical bills, and it wiped out every penny we had, and my anxiousness came back, and I distinctly re- remember, I was reading the Bible, and God spoke to me, reading the Bible, and he was basically, he said, Max, uh, do you trust me, or did you trust that savings account, where's your trust buddy, uh, I'm going to go with savings account, for 500 God, <laughs> <laughs> actually, could you put some zeros to that, <laughs> it revealed some things about my heart and where my trust was. Now, is saving money bad? No, of course not. We tell you to save money here. But the money gave me an illusion that I could control circumstances by having enough money. Right? What do my fears say I trust in? What do my fears say I love? Because our fears point to what we really care about. Um, And so, as we start off, I want to point out there's a connection between fear and faith, control and trust, and God, they're all connected. They're all connected. So, here's your homework, and it's really simple. I want you to make a short list of the things you fear the most, Those ongoing, recurring fears and worries, the stuff that keeps cropping up, the stuff that you verbalize to your spouse or your family members, or when you're alone, or when you're looking in the mirror, what is it you're afraid of? You gotta name it and list it. And the second part is, you gotta start asking why. What am I afraid to lose? What am I afraid to lose? What does this say about what's really important to me? What do I love? Now, you found a washer by your seat when you came in. Some of your friends have a marker. So I'm going to give you a moment before you leave today. I want you to, you can put an initial, but I want you to write with these permanent markers, name at least one fear, one worry, one thing that makes you anxious. And I'm going to ask you to get up out of your seat and drop it into this black box. It's going to be noisy. I want you to do that for a couple of reasons. One, I want you to actually do the work of something tactile where you're naming a fear before you go. And two, I want you to notice what happens. Pretty much most everybody's going to get up out of their seat and plunk something down there, which means you're not alone. You're not alone. Okay. So you got, your home, you got your assignment. So those of you with markers, start writing it down. And when you're ready, come up and plunk it in. I was admonished in seminary that I should always have some aspect of good news, so all I'll have is just a sliver today. (laughs) Just a sliver. You're going to have to hang with me through this series. There's a lot of washers in there, and there's a lot of fear in here. You're not alone. Other people are afraid, too. And one of the things I hope that you will see as we go through this journey together is that God is better than you think he is. He can do things you can't, you're convinced he's not, he's not capable, he can't, he won't. You can trust God. We're going to get there, but it's going to take some steps to get there. But Jesus asks, why are you afraid?